This is session 22 of A Better Brand of Happiness, and this session continues our study of Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. So let me read that passage for us this morning again. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This one long paragraph of scripture I have summarized in my big idea statement this way, Believers should rejoice in the Lord instead of putting our confidence in our own human efforts. If you boil down to one sentence what Paul is saying in in this paragraph, using himself as a primary example, is that our joy, our confidence, our pride, if you want to use that word, should come from nothing more than being in Christ. And if it's in anything else, anything that results from our own human efforts or from some status that was conferred upon us by others, then that's a, that's a bad situation, okay? And so he's going to go into detail on all of this. Now, in the previous session, I talked about the first uh, several verses in this section, and I talked about how Paul repeated his command to rejoice in the Lord in verses 1 through 3. He had said this already in chapter 2, verse 18. He's going to say it later in chapter 4. And Paul um, is is obviously using this idea of rejoicing in the Lord as a theme in the book. And Paul repeats this command in verse 1 by saying, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. But rejoicing in the Lord, while it does mean finding your joy in Christ and all that he's done for you, it, it means a lot more than just be happy because of that. It means really to get your joy, your confidence, your meaning in life, your pride, everything from your relationship to Jesus. The theological 
um, title for this doctrine is called Union with Christ. Because of all that you are in Christ, Paul says, make that the object of your rejoicing. And Paul says, it's important enough for me in verse 1 that I repeat this. It's not a problem for me to repeat it. In fact, he says it'll keep you safe if, if I do repeat it and if you really understand what it means. Now, in verses 2 and 3, Paul said that one important aspect of rejoicing in the Lord was watching out for Jewish false teachers. And and actually, in verse 2, he used the phrase, watch out, three times. It's not translated three times in our English Bible, but Paul used it three times to emphasize how important it was for them to be careful about this. He wanted to safeguard them against these these, uh, false teachers called the Judaizers, which ended up going to every church that Paul started and taking the work that he had done, calling people to faith in Christ, and then trying to infuse into their teaching and into their doctrine and into the life of their church a need to be obedient to the Old Testament law. And Paul is saying, no, you don't understand. If you have any confidence in anything other than Christ, you're not, your confidence isn't in Christ at all. And so that's what he's trying to safeguard against. And in verses 4 through 7 then, Paul explained how he knew that rejoicing in Christ was better than having confidence in human accomplishments. And he can say, I can look at my own life, and I can tell you that I had seven advantages that most other people don't have. Four of those described his Jewish pedigree, and three of them described his Jewish performance. He talked about his human pedigree in verses 4 through 6, especially, well, especially verse 5, where he said that uh, I have confidence in the flesh because of these things. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a a pure-blooded Hebrew. Okay, And so he can say, you can look at who I am based on where I was born and how my parents treated me and how they came together. All of these things, he said, set me up for spiritual success. But then he talked about his, his performance. And he said, When it comes to being a good Jew, which he was born as a Jew, but when it comes to being a good Jew, he said, my performance there was really good as well. He says at the end of uh, verse 5, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul says everything about um, having a spiritual type of confidence based on what a person has done, I had. And so now we come to verses 7 and following, where this is a new content for today. And Paul describes how knowing Christ required him to reject all of that. It required him to reject his religious human pedigree and, and human performance. Verse 7 says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And this phrase is a banner. It's a... It's a uh, you might say, a column supporting this entire paragraph of Scripture. It's essential to understanding this paragraph of Scripture. And Paul is saying what he is about to say here came from serious reflection on his religious life. Notice in verse 7 he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. The word consider is a word that means to give deep attention to, to think about deeply um, and the kind of old English word for it, which the King James Bible uses, is to reckon, all right? It means to, and that means to make a conscious decision to consider something to be true. 
And so Paul is saying, I didn't just recklessly discard everything that I was as a Jewish man and everything that I had accomplished as a Jewish man. He said, this was a deliberate decision on my part that required deep religious um, contemplation and thinking before I did it. This is a fundamental change in his thinking that resulted from a conscious decision of his will. That's what all of, this, all, of, uh, all of those ideas are embedded in and um, communicated by the word consider in verse 7. Let me give you an example that might help you um, understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying, on one hand, I used to consider all of these things to be spiritual advantages, but after deep reflection on it, I now realize that they were actually spiritual liabilities for me. All right, here's the example. Years ago, and you know, at various times in, in, uh, in our economy, people have looked at interest rates and they say, hey, there's a lot of money to be lent at a very low rate. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy up housing. I'm going to buy up single family homes and apartment buildings, and I'm going to borrow as much money as I possibly can. And as long as I have renters who are paying me enough rent to cover the interest and principal that I have to pay and then give me something extra, then I come out ahead. And so they're saying, I can borrow all this debt and buy all these buildings, and they will be economic assets to me that will give me wealth over time. Okay, and so a lot of people have both successfully and unsuccessfully uh, pursued this strategy. When that's working, it's a good thing. You consider the buildings to be an asset and you consider the debt to be an asset because the debt allows you to take on and, and accumulate more of these buildings than you could do on your own if you just paid cash. And so people look at these things and say, yeah, debt is great and assets are great. Okay, then, but then the economy turns south, right? And people all of a sudden are losing jobs in the area, they're moving away. And especially um, when you're talking about a commercial enterprise like this, the banks that might be able to start jacking up the interest rates on you. So all of a sudden, the buildings you own are worth less if you tried to sell them. There aren't enough tenants in them to cover the interest that you owe the bank, and the, and the bank is raising the interest. Now all of a sudden, all this debt that you thought was great and all these buildings that you thought were assets, they're now pulling you down economically. They're hurting your net worth. They're causing you great, a great source of distress. Okay, all of the things that once were assets now have to be considered liabilities. And someone in this situation, if they can figure out a way to get out from under those, to sell those buildings, maybe even at a loss just to be rid of the headaches of them, they might consider that a win. And of course, to add on to all this, that you have to maintain a building like this so it has ongoing costs, right? So someone who once looked at this as, this is great, it's, it's, it's building my wealth, now Due to a change in circumstances, they're thinking about these things change. The same assets, the same liabilities, but now they're thinking about them as very different. And this is how Paul is describing his spiritual pedigree and his spiritual performance. He said, once this was a source of confidence in my life. This was a source of pride for me. But he said, because of what God revealed to him on that Damascus road when he saw Jesus, he had to seriously reconsider everything. And what did that reconsideration look like? Well, verse 7 says, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The word gains in verse 7 is 
an accounting word. It means to count up numerous things, like you might do when you're taking inventory. If you've ever worked in a business and you had to take inventory, most employees don't like it. I didn't like it when I had to do it. You have to count up all of the things that are in the store, all of the items for sale on the shelves and all that kind of stuff, okay? That's an accounting word. Or it might, you might also use this word to add up the total dollar value of outstanding invoices. If you have a company and you do work for people and you invoice the people you do work for, you're wait, but you're waiting for the checks to come in, in, in one sense you can say, I um, have this wealth coming to me because it's owed to me. But you know as well as I do that people don't always pay up. And so until the checks actually show up, you can count that wealth, you can account for it, but you don't actually have it. So that's what this word gains is meaning. It's an accounting word that's saying, I'm taking inventory of these things. And Paul says, I used to take inventory of my spiritual life. And I would say, I have all of these very valuable things about my life. But all the things that he mentioned in verses 5 and 6 that he once thought were valuable credits toward his relationship with God, he now considers to be detriments to his relationship to God. Paul once thought that God would see how much religious value Paul had accumulated based on his pedigree and his performance and be impressed with Paul. But now Paul says, I understand that all of those things actually caused me problems in my relationship with God. Why? Because they were a source of pride to him. Okay. So Paul says, I've had to seriously reconsider my spiritual life and all those things that used to be valuable to me that I used to count as being important and valuable, I now consider just the opposite. And this is a very common but erroneous way of measuring anyone's relationship to God. Think about the things that people take pride in that they might account for being a good person. Just in our world, telling the truth. Okay, in a world where a lot of people don't tell the truth, someone who says, well, I, I'm always very honest, they might think of that as a religious asset, all right? that God is going to be impressed by my ever ongoing honesty, or their charitable giving. They might say, I'm very generous in giving to charitable organizations and even to poor people I meet on the street, and so surely God is keeping track of that, and it's giving me some credit in his sight. Being kind to those who are unkind to you. This is what Jesus commanded us to do. He commanded us to love our enemies, to, be, to do good to those who hate us. And so someone might read that and say, well, I was mistreated by you know, my parents or my siblings or my neighbors or whatever, and yet I was kind back to them. And so surely God is watching and seeing that. Surely that's something I can count on in my relationship with God. Being honest in your financial life might be one. Being faithful to your spouse might be one. These and other things seem to have religious value, especially because um, they are commandments drawn from the Scripture. And so someone who is trying to um, impress God with their own spiritual performance might be able to count things like this in their life and feel good that they're doing well morally compared to others. In our world where the idea of what is... what is righteous has changed significantly, there are people who probably are doing something like this in a different way. They might say, they might measure their righteousness by saying, well, I support the right political causes. All right, there are people out there like this 
who say, I'm really into environmentalism and I try to reduce my um, carbon footprint, you know, which is a, a buzz phrase that's used. I'm really careful about plastic because I don't want the turtles to choke on my plastic straws. And so I don't use plastic and, and uh, I support environmentalism and I support feminism and I support, you know, the uh, people who are, are uh, homosexuals being accepted in society and so on. There are people who consider themselves religious, who consider themselves Christians, who think these are good things, that, that even though some of these things are directly spoken of in Scripture as sinful, they would say, but I'm championing these causes and surely God sees how I'm standing up for the oppressed. Okay, And so there are multiple ways, not just the way Paul thought of his religious pedigree. Humanity, you and I, we have various ways of looking at life and counting ourselves to be good people. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying this is what people do. The point is that people have some method of measuring whether or not they are good people. And based on how we judge ourselves, based on how we count up those things we think consider or make us righteous, we might think we're doing well in the sight of God. But when Paul says in verse 7, what things were gained to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ, he is not only describing his own religious journey, his own spiritual walk, but he's describing how every person needs to think about their life. Anything that you do religiously that God says to do or that you think God might like you to do that is a source of pride to you isn't getting you closer to God. It's taking you further away from God. Why? Because it's placing dependency on self rather than on who God is. And so Paul says, I, had to, I came to the place in my life where I had to do some accounting. I had to take inventory of my spiritual walk and I saw what God truly values and I began to understand that my pride about my religious pedigree and my religious performance was actually hurting me in the sight of God. It was heaping judgment upon me. And this is how all of us, every person needs to think. Every person needs to come to the place in our lives where we understand this. That God's not impressed by our religious background. That God's not impressed by our religious performance. And so based on what Paul knows now, his religious credentials were actually a barrier to knowing Christ. And at the end of verse 7, he says, Whatever gains were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Now, that phrase, for the sake of Christ, is an important one. It's an important one not to misunderstand, but rather to interpret properly. Paul is not saying that Christ would benefit from his decision to think differently. Paul's saying, I did all of this so that Christ would benefit in some way. That's not what he's saying at all. That's not what he means when he says, for the sake of Christ. Rather, he's saying that knowing Christ meant renouncing all his pride, his self-satisfying accomplishments, and all of his status. He is saying, when Jesus dictated to me the terms of our relationship, if I was going to know him, the one that I was persecuting on that Damascus road... Jesus is saying, you've got to turn your back on everything that's important to you. Then you can know me. And Paul says, I went through the accounting process and I decided, you know what? It's worth it. Now in verses 8 and following, he's going to explain why. He's going to explain why he went through this accounting process and why the things that used to be sources of pride for him, things that used to give him and make him feel like he had status before God, were no longer like that. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of, uh, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. In these verses, Paul explains how Christ and knowing Christ surpasses his human religious accomplishments, why he now considers them more valuable than everything he used to consider valuable and take pride in. And these verses, verses 8 through 11, are one long, complicated sentence in the original Greek. All right, and so translators have had to deal with this. We've had to say, how do, we, how do they properly communicate what Paul is teaching here without being so complicated that it's hard to follow? But I just say that to show you that this is all one subunit um, because, because of the way it exists grammatically. The first thing Paul says in verse 8 is that knowing Christ as a Christian is more valuable than anything else. Paul went through this accounting, and it wasn't hard for him to decide that all these things that used to be valuable to him were no longer were, because he encountered something far more valuable than anything he had before, namely knowing Christ. And in fact, he says, it's not just my religious accomplishments, but it's anything else in life. Verse 8 says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This could include his Roman citizenship, which was something that many people took pride in, very few people had, and so they therefore took pride in it. That Paul might have been thinking of this. He might have been thinking of any worldly possessions he once had. He might be thinking of any status in society that he might have had. But it can also include all the things that he has done for Christ since becoming a Christian. Paul couldn't say, look at all the people I've won to Christ and who are now consider themselves and call themselves Christians and have been baptized. Paul didn't have like a list or like a, like a, like a running count of how many people he came to Christ, who, how many people came to Christ because of his preaching, but he could have. He could have looked at all the churches that he founded and said, look at all these towns full of Gentile people and there's a church there and there's a church there and there's a church there and it's because of me. It's because I went there and I preached the gospel to them and they got saved. Paul could have thought about all the persecutions he had faced and continued to face. Surely God must be impressed with how much of a beating he has taken for him. But Paul says, no, I don't consider any of those things to be valuable actually. He says, I consider it all loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And so there's, a, there's a, an accounting going on continuing here. Instead of thinking that, or, or when he weighs the value of knowing Christ against all of these other things that could be sources of pride for him, he says, it's not a difficult decision at all. It's not hard for me to think of these things as being worthless. And notice what was important to him in verse 8. He says, What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see that phrase, the surpassing worth. Again, Paul is weighing the worth of these things. And he's saying, this is like having all, a fistful of monopoly money on one hand or a $100 bill on the other hand. It's, it's like not difficult. 
The monopoly of money is very colorful, and you might have a lot of it, but it's worthless compared to, you know, cold, hard cash, right? And Paul's saying, I went through this accounting process, and I know that all these things are worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And when he talks about knowing Jesus in verse 8, when he says, the surpassing, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, the knowledge here he's talking about is not an accumulation of facts. He's not saying, I consider knowing all of these propositions, all of these truth claims about Christ to, to outweigh all of these other things that used to be important to me. No, it's his personal knowledge of Christ, his personal relationship with Jesus. Knowing Jesus personally and being able to talk to him in prayer and to be able to live for his will, and then knowing that when he dies, he'll be welcomed into his presence. Paul said, this was worth more to me than anything else you could possibly come up with. And so that's what he's saying in verse 8 when he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says this, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. The word garbage is a very gentle translation of the original language. The original word in the original Greek text is not garbage, it's poop, okay? That's, that's what Paul is saying here. And, and if you'll forgive me for being a bit crass, Paul is saying everything that used to matter to me is now crap compared, compared to knowing Christ. That's, I mean, Paul used a word that would shock people purposefully to try to drive home the point Anything that you or I think is important is not only worthless, but it's worse than that compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And this is something that should cause reflection for us. Now, all of us, in some sense, had to come to this process when we came to Christ, when you came to Christ in some way, you had to lower yourself. You had to lower your pride. Maybe walking down an aisle to respond to a gospel invitation was what it took. And, and, and you didn't want to do that. You were like holding on to the, the pew in front of you or the chair in front of you for dear life because it just scared you, the idea of everyone seeing you come to Christ. But then you decided, you know what, I'd rather know Jesus than have people look down on me. And so you did it. Or maybe raising your hand or maybe admitting to someone who was who had opened the Bible and shown you the gospel that you were a sinner and needed to be saved. In some way, all of us, when we became Christians, had to go through this process. We had to say, giving up my pride and what's important to me and acknowledging that I'm a sinner is really a small price to pay compared with the worth of knowing Jesus. But the truth is that as Christians, we still struggle with this. We still struggle with our religious accomplishments and putting our confidence there rather than in rejoicing in the Lord. That's what Paul is trying to emphasize here. And there are some people who are, um, they're almost like what Paul described himself in verses 5 through 6 about all of the religious pedigree and accomplishments. I've met people who would say, you know, I'm a Baptist and my parents were Baptists and my great-grandparents were Baptists and you know, some people go so far as to say, I can trace back my baptism all the way to John the Baptist, which isn't true, but some Baptists do say this, all right? What are they saying? They're saying, I have this long pedigree. Well, Paul's pedigree was way better than that, and yet, why would someone tell you this if it wasn't a source of pride for them? 
And anytime we look at our religious accomplishments, the people that have come to Christ because of us, the number of unbroken Sundays in which we've come to church without missing, the number of days in which we've read the scriptures without missing a day, or anything else, anytime that's the basis of our spirituality, anytime that is something that consoles us about our walk with God, we're in significant spiritual danger. Because in those moments we are saying, it's stuff that I've done that God's really impressed with. And Paul is saying, you don't, you've misunderstood or you've forgotten what Christianity is all about. Our faith is not about what you have done either before Christ or after knowing Christ. It's about Christ and what he's done for you. And so Paul goes on in the next verse, in verse 9, and says, and to be found in him. And again, this is talking about our union with Christ. Paul is saying, when I stand before God the judge, I don't want God talking about the fact that I was from the tribe of Benjamin and that I was circumcised on the eighth day. Well, all I want God to say about me is, you are in my son Jesus Christ. His blood has atoned for your sins and his righteousness has been credited to your account. To be found in him, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The word righteous means conforming to a standard. It means obedience to what is expected. And what's expected in this context is God's law. Everything that God has said, this is right and this is wrong. So the the degree to which a person lives according to God's righteousness, according to what God says is right and God says is wrong, that person is righteous. But the truth of the matter is none of us is righteous in the absolute sense. The most moral among us has still digressed from the law of God in many, many ways. And so a person who stands before God at the end of their life, as Paul seems to be contemplating in verse uh, 9, and says, um, where, where God says, are you found in him or are you having a righteousness of your own? Anybody who is putting confidence in their righteousness, God's going to say, yeah, but what about the time you did this? What about that thought that you had that no one else knows about but that I saw? What about those words you spoke? God can, God can you know, crush us with a catalog of sins, some of which we don't even, we're not even aware that we committed. Why? Because we are so steeped in our own unrighteousness. We are so deeply baked in our own uh, depravity that we don't even realize the times that we've sinned against God. And so if I stand before God and I offer to him my own righteousness, I'm going to be bulldozed by my own unrighteousness when God the Father brings it forward. But the alternative is so much better. It's not what I've done for God, it's what Christ did for me. Paul says this is so much greater than anything that people consider valuable. In verse 9, when he says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that's the standard of righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is sometimes called alien righteousness. 
Okay, or sometimes it's called the, the active obedience of Christ. And it's a core tenet of our faith, justification by faith. What makes a person a Christian is not what you've done for Christ, and it's not the catalog of religious ideas or beliefs that you've accumulated from studying the scriptures and going to church, as important as those things are. At the end of the day, what makes a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is whether what Christ has done and who he is has been credited to me by faith or not. When God looks at any person, he sees, of course, the sins that we've committed against him, and he's deeply offended by those. He sees the things that we've done that we think are righteous, but he's unimpressed by those because they're tainted by our own depravity. So if we stand on those things, we're in big trouble. But if we stand before God and say, yes, God, I've sinned against you and my religious accomplishments aren't much, but Jesus died for me and I believe that. The minute a person says, my faith is in who Jesus is and what he has done, the Bible says God credits with that person all the perfect righteousness of Christ. And he takes away from counting against us all of our sins. Do you realize that as a Christian, you will never be better in the sight of God than you are right now? Not because you won't grow in your faith and become more righteous in actuality, but because what matters is, is the righteousness of Christ applied to you? If it is, then you are perfect in the sight of God. The older I get, the more deeply aware I become of my own sinfulness and of my own struggles. My confidence before God is not that I've lived a good life or that I've been a good Christian at all. It's that Jesus is perfect. And the gospel says if your trust is in him, God sees you through the perfections of Christ. When God looks at me, he sees a perfect Man, not because I'm perfect, because I'm not, but because Jesus Christ, his son, is perfect. He lived a perfect life before God. And God says, I'll give you credit for his perfection. It's like failing a test in school, and the teacher says, Well, I'll just give you the same score that the very best student got who got an A. This is what God has done for us in Christ. And when you really believe that, when you rejoice in these things, like verse 1 says, you stop worrying about your performance before God. You stop wondering if you've done enough as a Christian. You start saying, I just want to know Jesus, this person. The one who is God and yet left the accolades of heaven and the privileges that go with being God in order to come and die for my sins. I want to know him. That's what Paul says happened to him. This is when all of the things that used to matter to him all of a sudden started to became worthless in his sight. And worse than that, they became garbage in his sight. And this is the, the mindset uh, that we need to retain as Christians every day of our lives. I'll close with this. Years ago, I, heard a, I, heard a, I was listening to a message by someone else, um, and this guy described how he had worked 
um, I think when he was in college, for a company that would basically get hired when somebody died and they didn't have any heirs or they didn't know who their heirs were, especially someone who was like renting an apartment from somebody else, they would call this company in to clean out their stuff. And basically his job consisted of going into the apartment and taking everything that was in there and putting it into a trash bag. And he says, on one hand, he says, it feels weird because you're taking somebody else's stuff and you're trashing it, right? You're putting it in the garbage. And you start to think about, what was it, why did this person keep this? Why, you know, this picture must have meant something to him. This person must have meant something to them. And so it feels weird to be throwing away. But, but then he said, but, but I didn't want it. He said, we were allowed to keep anything we found. He said, but I didn't want any of it because it didn't matter to me. This is how we need to begin to think about our lives. The things that are important to us, really in, in the light of eternity, in the sight of God, don't matter at all. And if we're going to know who Jesus Christ is, we have to let go of the things that are sources of pride for us and things that we think of are as being important. We need to find our joy our satisfaction in life, our pride in the fact that we know Jesus Christ. That's what rejoicing in the Lord means. And so a better brand of happiness is one that is found in Christ and who he is. Instead of, and actually in opposition to, who we think we are or what we think we've accomplished. And as we're going to see in future sessions as we go through the verses to come. This is an ongoing process in the Christian life. We need to constantly keep keeping our attention and focus on knowing Christ in opposition to everything else. This is a better brand of happiness. Believers should rejoice in the Lord instead of putting our confidence in our own human efforts. And when we do this, we find a better brand of happiness.